Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Emily White, host of the Interning 101 podcast, part of the Jabberjob Media Podcast Network. Interning 101 brings you interviews from everyone from execs who began as interns to what your dream jobs are looking for in interns. We'll be providing additional wisdom from myself, along with other entertainment and business professionals whose experience provide insights into the interning experience and beyond through a successful career. Listen and subscribe at jabberjobmedia.com. And thanks so much. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. My name is Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you great content week after week. And this week, we have Mrs. Rachel Midori. Rachel is an ex-adult star. Uh, She's now an advocate for microdosing um, LSD and working with mental illness and also suicide prevention. Uh, She's also working in fine dining industry and uh, has a fascinating story. And that's the the reason I reached out to her was seeing her story about, you know, struggling with mental illness, suicide, um, you know, just all kinds of, of, of things that, you know, a lot of people struggle with, including myself with depression and, and it's, it's a big deal. And so I reached out to her on Twitter and she was, uh, really, you know, got back 
quite quickly and was interested in coming on. So when I flew down to Podcast Movement down in Anaheim a few weeks ago, she made the drive down two hours to, to come and chat at the hotel. And we had a great chat. It's it's a pretty deep and dark uh, at times kind of chat. So if you are listening with children or, you know, I don't know why you'd be listening to my show with children, but if you're in the car, kids are in the car, there is some, you know, language and, and subject matter that is uh, not suitable for everyone. So just be aware of that. I, I like to throw that out there. This was a, a really honest interview. So Rachel is extremely honest and really, you know, is finding herself for the first time in her 20s. It's kind of insane to think about that, you know, going through most of her life, she had no idea who she was and, you know, struggling with uh, borderline personality disorder and bipolar one. And I mean, just it goes on and on. And uh, she is very open to talking about it. Really appreciate her candidness and you know her being completely open with me and with you guys. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview, um, and I, I, I'm stoked for you guys to hear it. So we are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Uh, definitely hit us up on there, and go check out the Patreon. The Patreon is up and live. Definitely will help the show out. Throw a few dollars a month at the show. We have usually, you know, we have a show every week, nonstop. Sometimes there's four shows, sometimes there's five. So on the shows, on the months where there's five shows, you totally get a deal. And there's a lot of bonus content going to be coming out, some merch and everything else. So it's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Go check that out now. There's all sorts of cool stuff on there. Shoot me an email at peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. If you have any concerns, questions, uh, you know, I'm always here for you. Guest ideas are have been awesome. We've been getting a ton of those rolling in. I've been able to get 99% of those that are requested. So uh, we've got a lot of good shows coming up, and this one also is no ex- exception. This is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done just because it was so real. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Rachel Midori. Rachel Midori, welcome to the Pure Pleasure Podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for making the drive. Of course. Driving to you. So you're coming from Hollywood? Yeah, straight from Hollywood. I usually don't drive my car because I'm within walking distance of everything. So it's actually kind of nice to like get out on the road and cut people off. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you had messaged it. Yeah, I'll be there, but I'm going to hate you for making me get up this early in the morning. So uh, Yeah, I'm sleepy. So. What are you doing for work right now as far as, like, you said you're going to be out till maybe one or so at work. Are you? Oh, yeah, one in the morning. Yeah, so I work in fine dining. So I work in a fine dining restaurant in 
Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. So it's Curtis Stone's restaurant. He has two in Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. So um, I serve there and I also expedite. So I work with the kitchen and kind of like getting all the food out and making sure all the plating is correct and um, kind of running the food getting to the floor and the guests and uh lately i've been helping our head sommelier work in the wine cellar kind of learning my way around the wine world and everything so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of just diving into fine dining a little deeper than i ever have before Mm -hmm. so i've been there for about eight months um since i retired from the adult industry and i just i fell in love with it instantly okay well i want to get to all that because i want to kind of go from the beginning and uh you're obviously from East Coast, New yes. York, probably. I can tell by the the accent, but coffee uh, <laughs> and talk. I say I say a couple things strange <laughs> and like for some. I'm like a show pony at work because for some reason everybody at work loves the way I talk and like they won't give me certain things unless I say certain words. I'll be like, all right, like I need a bottle of this, and they're like, no, you have to say the magic word, and I was like, and the magic word is coffee sauce. So coffee sauce, coffee sauce. So oh my god, I'm like a show pony there, but okay. Yeah, it's so weird. So growing up in in New York, you grew up in in. So I grew up in Jersey, but I Jersey, moved out okay. to New York when I was a when I was a teenager. I kind of went out on my own out in Brooklyn. So okay. I kind of consider that my home. Okay, and you come from a, a both parent family, or do you have like a, what's your what's your growing up growing up like? I'm curious as far as growing you know, up, my like, parents. Um, yeah, they've, I mean, they got, they split up when I was really, really young, but they got back together when I was five. They've been married ever since. Um, I have an older sister that's about two years older than me, and I mm-hmm. have two baby sisters, so they're teenagers now. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, growing up, life wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I mean, I was kind of nuts, which made things difficult, but like family wise, like my parents have been great. My sisters mm-hmm. have been awesome. Um, we've all gotten a lot closer now in the past few years than we were growing up. We were a lot, I don't know, is they were very strict and they grew up in like a really religious household. Mm-hmm. And now like we're all kind of smarter and more mature, even my parents. So yeah. we all get along a lot better now. We're a lot closer. I talk to my dad more now than I ever did as a kid. We're like best friends now. And same with my sisters. So I don't know, like it was more strict and stringent and like i don't know not personal mm-hmm. growing up and now it's like it's completely different we're all so close we're like best friends so i think it just it took a long time for all of us to kind of just accept each other for who we are and just mm-hmm. you know be close like that so that took a few years especially with me because i'm like nothing like what my parents <laughs> wanted me to be <laughs> um but it took them a few years to kind of accept that. And for me, just repeatedly being like, this is me and you need to, you know, accept it and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then it did. It took it took a long time for them to finally be like, OK, Jesus Christ, like, that's you. Like, this yeah, is, you it's know. not a phase. Yeah, it's not a phase. And it's not, you know, you're not rebelling and you're not doing all this stuff for another reason. Like, it was just very difficult for them to accept, mm-hmm. you know, because I am I'm very different than my sisters. And I'm very, you know, I'm very different than my parents and I'm really I don't know it took them a long time to be okay with that but now that they have and like we've accepted and I've accepted them for how different they are and we've kind of agreed to disagree on a lot of things like Mm -hmm. we've gotten so like our relationship is astounding now you know that's fantastic that's that's one of the most important things right there 
to have. I mean, yeah. especially, and they're still over on the East Coast then? Yeah. Okay. And it sucks because I want, and that's the thing is growing up, I was like, uh, I was always like, I need to get away. I need to get away. Like, I don't want to be anywhere near my family. And now that I live 3,000 miles away, all I can think about is moving back so mm-hmm. I could, you know, be a half hour, 45 minute drive from my baby sisters or from my dad, or I could go get breakfast with my mom in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that used to not be a thought. I just constantly wanted to be gone. And now, like, all I want to do is, you know, be closer to them just because yeah. we're all so close now. So I can't wait to move back. Yeah. How long have you been out in, in Los Angeles or Hollywood? Uh, I moved to the Valley when I was still in the industry because mm-hmm. um, I had to do that just job-wise. Being bi-coastal was just too much for me and my fiance. Um, so I moved out to the valley i mean two years ago two and a half years ago um yeah and then i was out there for a while and then when i retired and i started working in fine dining and moved into the city um just to be closer to the restaurant and everything Mm -hmm. so i mean i've been in california for two and a half years it's an interesting place okay yeah definitely would never settle down here (laughs) ever (laughs) but it's been cool. I mean, it's just cool to live in different cities, like to grow up in Jersey and move out to New York as a kid and then move to L.A. And we're planning to move um, to Peru for a little while. And cool. Kind of just live in different cities and, you know, get into the culinary scene and all around the world, you know. So mm-hmm. it's exciting. I mean, living in California, not a lot of people can say they did that when they were 22 years old. Yeah. You know, got to live in L.A. for a little while. So I'm grateful. It's been cool. Mm-hmm. So you got in the industry, the the adult industry over in the East Coast then. So mm-hmm. you you were doing a bi-coastal thing for a while then before moving out here? Or was it like a short time, like this sucks, like it, a month of... It was about forth? a year. So I was kind of flying back and forth between Brooklyn. I was flying between Brooklyn and Miami. So when you start in the industry, you usually start in Miami. That's where a lot of the amateur performers start. Um, so okay. I started shooting in Miami a lot and then... Once it got a little more well-known and I did a little more, then I was coming to L.A. um, every week or so uh, to shoot. So I would stay out in L.A. for two weeks, then I would come home for a week and go back to L.A. for two weeks. So I did that for about a year, and Mm -hmm. it was just way too straining at a point. I was just like, I never, you know, I never see my fiancé. Like, I'm never, I don't, you know, I don't want to be home doing nothing for a week, so I just want to go somewhere where, I, you know, I can pick up shoots and I can you know, just be living here and be comfortable. So I asked him if he'd make the move to LA with me and he agreed, which was cool. Okay. And then um, I wanted to switch agencies to be represented by Mark Spiegler, who's kind mm-hmm. of the best of the best in the adult world. You know, if you're a Spiegler girl, you kind of reach the pinnacle of what yeah. you can do. And that's what I wanted to do because I just like being good at things. Mm-hmm. So to be represented by him, I had to make the move. Yeah. You know, I had to be available and I had to be, you know, 100% in. So that's another reason you know, he said he would represent me, but I'd have to, you know, relocate. And I was like, okay. So my man was on board, and then we just moved out here. We didn't know anyone. We didn't know anything. It just yeah, flew out. How does it go? How does that go? Getting, I mean, I'm familiar with music and and like film stuff, but getting in like an industry like that where getting in with someone like that, like the top of the top. Um, I mean, is it something that's difficult to do? Know the right people, or is it like a is there like a fairly extreme like set of rules? Like you have to be available for this, this, and this. You have to be open to this. You have to have this much travel. Like, is there like stipulations like that in the beginning, or is it like, well, you just need to move it to LA? To no, so for someone like him, and I respect him so much because he does have all these amazing top tier performers. 
is you have to have a good track record Mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, because I mean, you can imagine any industry, even in the restaurant industry, it can't get people to show up to work on time. Yeah. You know, the adult industry attracts a lot of, you know, amazing men and women, but their job depends on their looks and their Mm -hmm. job, you know, is can seem like a very, you know, a job that kind of revolves around ego. So you can imagine how difficult it might be to get these performers on time to work or get the performers to, you know, just be civil or mm-hmm. be respectful or understand that this job doesn't technically revolves around them because they're in front of the camera, but it doesn't revolve around them. You know, you have to have this track record of being a good performer on camera on top of getting there on time and mm-hmm. having your wardrobe set and not being a cunt all the time. Cause mm-hmm. no one wants to work with you, you know? So you kind of have this, track record of being reliable and being a good performer on camera um and then you know because mark will he'll ask around he'll ask directors you know ask photographers he'll ask other performers what they think of you and you know who you are as a performer that's kind of what i think makes him different than other agents is because i don't think anybody else is held to the standards that spiegler girls are Mm -hmm. it's just you know, if he calls you and he's like, you have a shoot today, you know, you're going to that shoot and yeah. it may seem demanding and it may seem, you know, they said, you know, speak with girls are kind of like a cult, but I mean, we were the best for a reason. Yeah. So it kind of, you had to have a good track record and you had to be good at your job and, you know, you had to be reliable because mm-hmm. it's not easy to find reliable porn performers. I could see that. Same with bands and stuff. Like, yeah, like Jesus Christ, just get up. Yeah. Stop the coke. Learn your parts, show up to the studio, you know? Like. Yeah, and it's never like, and I always showed up early, and, you know, I've missed maybe two shoots in my career, and it was, you know, it broke my heart because, you know, it was either because I didn't get tested in time, because I forgot, and I just, it, like, totally ruined me, but, you know, just because you're sucking dick for a living doesn't mean you get to be irresponsible about it, you yeah. know? It's just, that's your job, like, get to fucking work on time and have your, you know, shit together, but that's not... That's not easy, you know, and I really I didn't make a lot of friends in the industry just because I'm not I don't know. I don't really like making friends with coworkers, uh-huh. especially in that intimate of a setting. I just kind of like to do my job and go home. But, you know, the people I did get close with, they were, you know, the responsible ones and the reliable ones and the mm-hmm. ones who took their craft seriously because it is a craft. I mean, you're putting on a show for people yeah. you know if you don't take it seriously and then if you don't treat everyone in your industry with respect i don't want to fucking be around you yeah so. it's an interesting industry because it's something every i don't care what anyone says everyone is involved in it somehow either watching it uh fighting against it but then going back to their hotel and watching it um you know it's a basic human need that's being met but it's also an industry that controls so many things around us that no one really realizes like little things, like when VHS tapes, you know, went from beta to VHS, mm-hmm. it's because people wanted porn on VHS. Yep. Blu-ray, DVD, that kind of stuff. Porn industry. No one will admit that, but that's why, because those are what's, what's selling still. And even when everything went, you know, um, Redbox and everything else, there were still adult shops that sold the physical stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the internet changed all that. But there's so much money in that industry there's so much but no one wants to talk about it it's it's really interesting and to be and it is a craft i mean i can't imagine putting myself out there in that way do you know what i mean where you know you're not you're acting but at the same time every part of you is exposed everything mm-hmm. like it, it's some of the most intimate things 
it fascinates me people that can do that for work because you know a lot of people are extremely prudish or you know don't even like taking their shirt off you know at the swimming pool but then there's people that will go out and do everything on camera and you know you're walking down the street i mean when you walk down the street in Hollywood or whatever, do you get recognized very often or anything? Oh, I know your hair's a lot different now than. I mean, yeah, so I do look a lot different now, but not. It's happened maybe once or twice in the city. It happened more at airports. I don't know if that's just because a bunch of people traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember this one instance with this younger kid. I was in line of security and I was like half asleep trying to get to a shoot. And he was like, Rachel, Rachel, like, can I get a picture with you? And I was like, yeah, of course. But like, he was really <laughs> loud about it. And he was sweet and like whatever. We took a selfie and then he went back in line and this this middle aged woman behind me just like total just house mom, like really sweet. And she like tapped me on the shoulder. I was like, Oh shit And she's like, Oh my god, like so he asked for a picture with you and I'm trying to see who you look like and I just don't know who you are. Do I know who you are? Because she like <laughs> I guess didn't want to miss missing like an actually famous mm-hmm. person. And she was like, who are you? Like, you know, what do you do? And I was like, you wouldn't recognize me unless you watched a lot of porn. Because I was just like, no filter at that point. I was like, okay, yeah. whatever. And she like stopped because she wanted to be like socially like correct and like not freak out on me in public. But her head like couldn't wrap around the fact that I just said that to her. And she was just like, um, I have teenage boys. Maybe they know who you are. And just was <laughs> like, I'm going to text them. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> So, I mean, I didn't get recognized um, a lot. I don't think, I mean, I was only in it for three years. I don't think I was in it for long enough for a bunch of people to recognize me. But there, like, I've had people, like, when I started working in the restaurant industry, people had been like, you look really familiar. And I don't hide, like, what I did. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't, it's not. I kind of, I mean, with my job now, I didn't talk about it very openly because i needed to prove myself especially as a woman in a difficult industry like Mm. fine dining on top of being a previous performer you know i don't need to walk into something as stressful as fine dining and then you know whether the chefs or my boss or the owner or the managers be like oh well this you know this chick just used to do porn like i needed to work my ass off there every single day five days a week to kind of prove myself yeah and now that you know, I have and they know that I'm serious and they know that I'm intelligent and they know that, you know, I'm always going to put, you know, my coworkers and, you know, the restaurant, the business first, you know, now I don't mind talking about it. It mm-hmm. doesn't affect their opinion on me as, you know, a worker. But yeah, people at work had recognized me. Like, you look really familiar. And I was like, yeah, well, like, you did this for three years. And they're like, holy shit, I never expected that. And yeah. that's the kind of the thing I get the most is once someone gets to know me and then they find out, they're like, I would have never expected that because they have this preconceived notion of what kind of person does porn. And even my parents, they were like confused. Um, or like my friends and stuff. Or like I went to high school in a small town. And, you know, when I go back and visit and I just go to... The bar, mm-hmm. you know, people that I went to high school with treat me very differently because mm-hmm. they just, I don't know, it's either they think a certain way about me and they think it's cool that I did it or they think it's weird or they, like, think that I'm famous, which I don't, I'm not. But um, I don't know. People have this preconceived notion about what an adult performer is like. So, you know, when people see how good I am at my job now and then they're like, oh, my God, you used to, you know, fuck for a living. Yeah. People can't, like differentiate between you know being a sex worker and being an actually intelligent really mm-hmm. you know talented person in any other industry yeah which is weird to me i mean it's just you being able to have sex you know and perform on camera doesn't also define how intelligent you are in other things yeah 
you know i want to work with wine and i want to work with scotch and i want to be a liquor and an expert and a sommelier because those are very you know those are very fine you know elegant career paths mm-hmm. and i think that's fucking cool to be able to say that i do this and i used to do that that's like a breaking some strange barrier i keep thinking imagine if i become a sommelier one day and you know someone finds out i used to be a porn star you know that's a mm-hmm. weird that's a strange like that's a strange walking ground to yeah. be in which i want to do because i just like whatever i like making people uncomfortable sure well you just live your life you know you yeah. do what you want to do i mean that's how so i mean you say a lot of people have misconceptions about you know people that have been in porn and everything else i mean i know people they think they're you know a bimbo or just some dude who can't do anything else with a big dick like it's i mean there's a lot that goes into making these scenes making these movies i mean how much of it are you responsible for as a performer you know when you were performing how much of that were you responsible for as far as what do you show up and there's wardrobe there do you have to get a you know a suitcase full of stuff that you buy yourself um and then prepping for this kind of stuff like prepping for scenes like that where i think there's a lot more that goes into it that people don't know about that it's not just show up and and do your thing oh like not even not i mean even what goes into that i mean i've heard I, that's something also that you don't see much even if you like look it up on google or whatever not a lot of people talk about what you have to do to prep for scenes like like extreme scenes like that like stuff like what I does learned, that entail? Like, I learned so many things about me and the human body, like going through porn, like things like not only like, you know, ways to please partners, but just like things in general about yourself and sex that it would have taken me lifetimes of being just lifetimes to even learn. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't know people, and that's kind of breaks the fantasy, you know, for people to realize how much work it is, but they do, you know, People think I show up, you know, at 12 in the afternoon and have sex for an hour and then I leave. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to bed at 6 at night the night before to get a proper amount of sleep. I'm waking up at 6 in the morning to get to set by 8. You know, I did always have my suitcase with me of wardrobe that what I bought and was collected over the years. And I paid, you know, my money with that I always kept on me, you know, just in case either they didn't like something they had or they preferred something I had. So I always had this giant suitcase that I constantly had to keep up to date. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm constantly getting tested, which I paid for, you know, every 12 days getting, you know, every 12 days. Yeah. So every 12 days getting tested showing up to set at eight o'clock, depending, you know, if it's a feature length film or if it's just a short video, you know, shoots can take four to 12 hours. You know, I shot, um, a film that took three days, 14 hour days every day, you know, it's not. And then just like physical prep, if you're doing an extreme scene, if it's an extreme anal scene or, you know, it's something where you have to either fast the night before you have to, you know, clean yourself out. You know, there's so much prep that goes into before you can even roll, the camera Mm -hmm. you know and i mean like eventually it depends like you learn yourself and you learn your body like over the years like i was really paranoid my first year i was like okay everything needs to be perfect like i need to be able to like whatever i can do this anal scene and like i didn't know how comfortable i was with my body and like by the third year like yeah it got easier for me i could just show up and it'd be like okay like we're fine like let's just yeah start shooting because i learned my body and like i got used Mm -hmm. to it but it's hard it's not easy it's not oh you're stupid and you can just do porn like i've seen girls go into the industry and shoot for a few months they're like i fuck this and just leave because they can't whether it's a mental thing or you know an emotional thing or just not having the physical stability to even do it you know i need to be in the gym every day to even try and pull off an eight-hour shoot without you know collapsing Mm -hmm. and getting exhausted 
you know it's not easy it's extremely extremely physically demanding especially for the men like i don't i would have never been able to do porn as a man you know because even in my instance as a woman like i can usually get through a scene no matter what's going on like a guy physically has to stay hard he has to physically be capable you know to be able to shoot and then you know if we take a break and the director's like okay we're gonna start shooting again like on call he needs to instantly be ready to perform you know that's not I couldn't imagine doing that as a man. And then on top of that, you have like a camera guy breathing in your ear and then the director like yelling at you to do a certain mm-hmm. thing. And like, and you're not having sex like you normally have sex. Like it may look like that on camera, but we're like moving in certain ways so that the camera can even get in there and we're, you know, mm-hmm. positions in certain ways so it looks good on the camera. It's not always comfortable. You know, it's yeah. not comfortable for me. It's not always comfortable for him, but we're trying to make, you know, a good product for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. to who's watching it to enjoy. But it's not you know it's not as glamorous as some people think like yeah the parties are nice and you know the money is nice and Mm -hmm. the recognition and all that and you know winning awards is a good feeling but it's not when you get on set like that's business and you take it seriously like the camera guy's job depends on it the director's job depends on it you know it's not just you as a performer and it is it's i mean it's difficult you're shooting an entire movie it's yeah it's not just fucking around in a hotel room yeah it's serious and there's so much uh, things are getting so much different than you know i'm 35 so i came exposed to porn probably when i was like 14 or 15 maybe 13 but it was always on it's like oh so-and-so rented a movie or something like like edward penis hands or something it was the first <laughs> one i ever saw and uh <laughs> it was uh it was hilarious. It was one of those ways that we didn't we didn't really know. Like we went in the store and our buddy was you know eighteen or whatever, and you can walk behind the beads and you mm-hmm. know what that meant. And uh, he came out with this video. I was like, dude, this is gonna be awesome. And we all sat and watched it together. And we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, all right, why don't you watch it for a few minutes? We're gonna go get something to eat and then we'll trade off or whatever. And it was like because we were like figuring ourselves out. Yeah. Like, wow, this is uh, this is cool. But now everything's so. It's almost like extreme isn't enough anymore. Like the things you see now in porn like the um like the prolapsing and things like that and like the squirting and all that stuff you never really saw it before in porn and it seems like it's i'm not sure how far it's gonna go but that's something that you know these other older i don't know how many of the older stars you know or have came come across that didn't have to do things like that um i mean do you see it getting more and more extreme or do you see like a, a point where it's going to hit like a critical mass as far as what else can we possibly do I mean, I think it is pretty extreme. Like, I was really I'm never into the prolapse thing because, one, I just don't think it's necessary to endanger your body like that because it's not really. It has to be dangerous. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure you have to go to a doctor to get that fixed or you just push it back in. I don't know how that works, but I'm not interested in that. I mean, I don't judge anyone for what they like. And I do. I think it is extreme, um, but it's not. You don't have to do things like that. You know, when I started doing anal and I started doing gangbangs and I started like wanting to be super, super extreme, you know, that wasn't because my manager told me to. And it wasn't because someone said, you know, you're not going to be relevant if you don't do this. Mm -hmm. I strictly did all that crazy shit because I wanted to freak people out. And that was just my personality. And there is the most like performers who do extreme stuff like that. They enjoy it. You know, I know it's crazy for a lot of people to comprehend a chick, you know, like liking to do double anal but you know they do it's not and that's my biggest thing is i hate when i met performers that perform scenes they didn't enjoy because that's Mm -hmm. infuriating to me because you're never forced to do anything you're always get to walk off set if you want to you know 
anytime directors or if anyone ever made you uncomfortable, like you have every right to leave and no one's keeping you there. You Mm -hmm. know, you hear these horror stories of unqualified directors and unqualified agents, you know, especially in Miami, especially like I wrote a whole article on the movie Hot Girls Wanted because it depicted this horrible, horrible perception of the adult industry. But that is just because, you know, I'm pretty sure Rashida Jones was a part of that. Yeah. Fuck her. And, you know, all these people who have this illegitimate agenda to push against porn, you know, that I knew all the people in that movie and none of it, you know, it wasn't portraying the real adult industry. It was portraying the seedy part of it that is a tiny, tiny aspect with just shitty people and every mm-hmm. industry industry has shitty people. The reason they would never do a documentary with Speak With Girls or they would never do a documentary with other women who do it as a career and who love it is because they would have no agenda to push. They would try and do a documentary with Speak With Girls and they would be talking about how much they love the industry and, you know, how healthy they are and, you know, how much they enjoy going to work. You know, so... It is getting extreme, but these women aren't forced to do these things. I think that it's just, I mean, I think with performers are getting more expressive and they're able to kind of, you know, directors will give them an idea and they'll be like, no, like, I'm totally into that. Like, I never considered doing a gangbang when I first started. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they were like, well, we could do this. And then I like eventually like after doing it for a few years, like I think performers want to push themselves more. You know, you do a certain thing for a year or two and you're like, no, I want to do something weird. I want to do something more. So I think it's, you know, the audience wanting it. But I also think it's performers who just, you know, I think they just want to do more and push themselves. That was kind mm-hmm. of a thing for me. I wanted to constantly push myself like how much, you know, can I do or what can I do with my body, you know? you know, what is some like strange thing that I haven't done yet that I want to do. And I don't know if that's every performer, but that was definitely a fascination of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, every year is like, what can I do that's weirder than the next one? Or what can I do that my fans will see and be like, fuck, like she's crazy. Yeah. You know, so I think, I mean, for as long as performers get to express themselves and get to push themselves, there won't be a cap on porn because if they want to keep pushing themselves to do, Mm -hmm. you know, crazy stuff, that's, that's on them and i think it's i think it's rad to be able to especially to have such a safe environment to practice extreme things like that i would never i would never trust you know complete strangers or friends to you know let's say i was a woman and i wanted to do a gangbang mm-hmm. you know not a performer not a performer you know how are you going to set that up where you know you're safe and mm-hmm. how are you going to set that up where you know you're taken care of on all aspects you know, you're not going to like in my instance, working with my favorite company, which is kink, who does so much hardcore stuff, crazy bondage, crazy they you know, d- torture DS. scenes. And I like and they were my f- even as a dom, you know, as a very dominant female, I did a lot of submissive scenes with them and they're the best company in the world to work for. Mm-hmm. You know, you stay there overnight in the armory. That's like a mansion. They take care of you. They give you lunch. You know, they treat you like, you know, when you're there and you're shooting for them because they know how much they're going to test you and they're going to push you. They treat you just like royalty. They're Mm -hmm. just amazing. And then, you know, to have such a safe environment where you're constantly going over your, you know, what you're okay with, what you're not okay with, what your safe words are, you know, is there any specific words that you don't want anyone to call you? You know, you can shut down the entire scene if anybody breaks your rules. You know, so you have this crazy environment where you get to experiment anything you ever desired but it's safe and it's with professionals and it's with people you know are tested and it's you know with all these guidelines that keep you safe as a woman if you want to go explore anal you want to explore gangbangs or you want to explore 
you know, all these different, you know, sexual endeavors, you know, the safest place that you're going to do it is in the industry. Because yeah. what am I, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go f- call up five of your guy friends and try and get them to all get along for an hour mm-hmm. to have sex with you, you know. It's and be able to maintain. Yeah, and be able to maintain that, <laughs> you know, and like, then, you know, be able, let's say you want to try anal. Like, do you know how to do it safely? And like, because now I'm glad my girlfriends will come to me like, okay, I want to try this. How do I do it safely? You know, how do I not hurt my body? How do I not like rip myself? You know, how do I do it to where it, it does feel good? And it's not, you know, because guys, yeah. I've met guys and they're like, yeah, like you just stick it in, right? It's like, no, you idiot. Jesus like <laughs> it takes, like it takes a minute. It's a muscle. Like, yeah. and I like, I talk to my girlfriends and like all, you know, work them through how to do it safely. But if you don't have that information and you are, you know, sexually explorative, like you're where, how are you going to do it safely? You know, porn was the safest place for me to explore myself sexually and figure out exactly what I like, how I like it. You know, it's just, and it gave me this confidence that I never had before. I was mm-hmm. always very self-conscious. It doesn't matter, you know, how attractive people said I was or, you know, how fit I stayed. You know, I always had this weird, like I just cared what people thought of me and porn is what made that go away. It kind of made me find myself and be so confident in myself that I just, nothing phases me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, I'm not, but even in my relationship, you know, I'm not phased by other women. I'm not phased by my dude checking out a girl that walks down the street. Like there's just this just love of yourself and acceptance of yourself mm-hmm. that I don't think I would have found anywhere else. If anything, it's improved my self-confidence and my sense of self-worth. You yeah. know, I used to let people walk all over me. And now because I've like gained this like voice and this kind of just stronghold on myself, you know, I'm very, I'm a lot more assertive. I'm a lot more dominant. You know, I have so much more control of my life and, mm-hmm. you know, everything that the way I'm treated or the way I treat other people, you know, and I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have found that so quickly, you know, at yeah. such a young age if I didn't, you know, have to in the mm-hmm. industry. So, I mean, I have nothing but to thank for it. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of aged me in such a well way mentally. Mm-hmm. So, did anyone ever break your rules? One time ever, one time I was doing this scene and I specifically made it very clear. So it was like a submissive torture scene. For Kink? No, no. Okay. Kink would have never, it would that would have never happened mm-hmm. on a Kink set. Um, some shitty, shitty, uh, some, I don't even remember the name of the... Uh, was this early on? Or? Yeah, it was okay. super. So it was, yeah, it was early on because if it would have been a f- way bigger deal if it happened, you know, a few years in because I would have just fucking flipped out. Mm-hmm. But like I was young and it was early on and it wasn't like a huge rule, but it was still like if you break a rule, like that's just, it doesn't matter. Like if you, if I say don't call me a bitch during the scene and you call me a bitch, then that rule is broken. I'll walk the fuck out. Like if, if something is what seemingly simple like that. Mm-hmm. And my one, you know, my one rule was don't hit the bottom of my feet. I was like, I don't fucking like it. Like it does something to my head. Like I don't like if you're going to hit me, like I don't the care. Bottom of your feet. Just okay. don't hit the bottom of my feet. Just it fucked with me. I didn't like it for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing this asshole did as soon as the camera starts rolling is he canes the bottom of my feet. I was like, stop, like just fucking get so away it didn't even me. get going you just it's like it. are you kidding me like yeah. i say one thing you know and like after that and that was for three years that was the only only instance where that ever happened and it just it really pissed me off but it never you know it never happened again that's also because you know and that's when i was brand new and everything and like mm-hmm. if something like that happened when i was with mark and like he 
like I told him about it. Like you, you don't like you wouldn't like obviously you wouldn't fuck with any performer, but you wouldn't. I don't feel like you would disrespect me like that, knowing that like he represented you know mm-hmm. me. Like Spirit Girls are really they're great and they're really respected, and I don't feel like someone would have done that to me if they kind of you know if I was with him at the time. But mm-hmm. I was new and like I was with just this amateur agent and. And it sucked, and like I got really pissed off, um, and I didn't work with them again, obviously. But yeah. that's the only time I ever had a rule broken. And I mean, because after that, I was working with well-known companies and respected mm-hmm. companies. They're not going to do that shit because they're not yeah. stupid. It's just the, that's the thing. Like there, it's always shady people in industries. You're always gonna someone's gonna be weird, someone's gonna be shady, someone's gonna break the rules. But you can't judge an entire industry by that. Mm-hmm. You know, three years of amazing experiences, and like I had one really ter- like really bad instance. Just because of some asshole. Yeah. You know, every industry has that. I can't say I go into work every day now and everyone's perfect and amazing and like r- really awesome. Cause sure. It's just not true. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only time I ever I ever had a rule broken. Okay. Did you ever work with James Dean? That, I uh, did. Did you have? Yeah, I, I had Joanna Angel on the show like one of my first episodes, and and well, I know I she had, had stuff. And I know you guys are friends, so I wasn't sure if you had a similar experience. Of not just him specifically, but guys like that where it's just like, whoa, holy shit, what's wrong with this person? Like, and I don't know the ins and out of that story either. If it's true, if it's not, um, neither do I. I worked with him. Um, I mean, I had a I had a good scene with him. I, I worked mm-hmm. with him a couple of times. Um, I never had an issue with him. Um, yeah, I never. I didn't have an issue with any male talent after that one with the yeah besides that shitty asshole but uh yeah i didn't i didn't have an issue i didn't have an issue with any of them come in mike oh good (laughs) this is rachel midori this is mike mowry from jabberjaw Jabberjaw. I can cut all this little spot out. No, you're not editing out. No. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Minori, Rachel Minori, Rachel Minori. Rachel Minori. Keep all of it. <laughs> um, no, I didn't have an. I didn't have an issue with James. I didn't yeah. have an issue with any of the. With any of the other performers. I didn't like. I just. I just went in and I worked and I left. You know, I didn't. Obviously, I mean, I've been in relationships since before porn. You know, I didn't date anyone. I wasn't. Yeah. And that's another thing. I didn't make anything personal. Like, there's a lot of, like, whatever. You're going to be friends or you're going to date something, someone or, you know. I just, that wasn't my prerogative. I came in and I worked and I left, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like I was, I don't know, I was always treated really well. And, like, I respected other people and other people respected me. That's not to say that there aren't performers that are shitty and that could, you know, be capable of something, you know, terrible mm-hmm. or be capable of something abusive because I'm, I've seen it happen and I'm sure it does, but it never happened to me, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it does happen. There are, you know, there's, there's shitty people and there's, you know, evil people and there's abusive people everywhere. It's not gonna, Mm -hmm. it's not gonna not happen in porn, but for my personal experience, no, nothing. I never had an issue with any male performers, which was, you know, which I was really grateful for. I mean, I got along with everybody I worked Mm -hmm. with. You know, and I'm amicable with most people in the industry, even after I left. Yeah. Like even when I left, you know, Mark, you know, he was he was awesome and he was excited and he was when you told him you wanted to leave the industry. Yeah. And he knew. And I told him, like, I was leaving for culinary school and I was leaving to, you know, work in fine dining. And Mm -hmm. he was super stoked for me, you know, so I kind of like left amicably. I hit three years, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm out of here. So, I mean, I I liked it. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about any performers. I didn't have any negative experiences. Yeah. It was actually pretty nice. I mean, three years with nothing, you know, bad that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. I just kept seeing that name everywhere. And then I saw Joanna going on uh, Jason Ellis's show um, and uh, was like, yeah, talking about it a little bit. It was on YouTube or something like that. And I heard it on the actual radio. But um, I wanted to touch too because you the the big reason i wanted to talk to you uh wasn't the porn thing but the the microdosing thing you've been working on and it, that's absolutely fascinating to me i just got turned on to that through another podcast that i booked for um called it's called the bad christian podcast it's these guys from a band called emory um and they reach out to me they're like hey can you book us some guests and we're really into this microdosing thing and i was like what is microdosing and i looked it up and i got a, you know a guest or two for that but um Explain a little bit what it is and what it's done for you because you had, or, or maybe we can touch on first your, uh, you went through some pretty heavy shit depression wise. Um, that you've been pretty open about, you know, uh, suicide attempts. Mm. Did that stem from childhood on like your teenage years or is that something that I, you figure porn would like compact that a little bit but for you it seemed to make you feel more confident and stronger yeah it kind of um so for most of my time in the adult industry you're kind of expected to keep and i've talked about this a lot on my blog and i've talked about it um to some other you know did different interviews and stuff you're kind of expected to keep this facade like this one-dimensional like you're hot like you're a porn star like that's how you stay on twitter that's how you stay on instagram that's mm-hmm. how you stay on your website and everything and the longer I was in it, the more that started to piss me off because, you know, I wasn't like that. You know, I didn't wake up with makeup on and was pretty all the time and went out <laughs> and did bottle service. Like, that's not who I am and that's not my thing. And yeah. I didn't want to portray any of that shit because mm-hmm. it wasn't authentic, you know. And then I started my blog and I've always been a writer. I've been writing since I could, you know, form a, a word. I've always had books and notebooks of poetry and stories and you know, I was so excited that Asa Akira just published this short story book. She asked me to write a f- piece of fiction in, which was amazing. Um, so I've always been a writer. So that's mm-hmm. when I was like, fuck, I'll start a blog. I have people listening to me now. You know, maybe, yeah. you know, they'll watch my videos, but they'll read what I had to say as well. So I started being really open just about a lot of things in the industry that people weren't open about and wouldn't talk about. And then that kind of stemmed into my personal life and, you know, my issues I've dealt with. And I got a lot of kickback. It was either people really excited that I was being super, you know, transparent and Mm -hmm. people could relate to me. And I was like helping people. And then other people were like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm not here to know who you are. I'm just here to watch your videos, which I'm cool with. Yeah. But fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want anyway. Sure. And, you know, it started getting more personal. And then, you know, I didn't realize that I had an issue and I didn't realize I had a mental illness until two years ago. And it was kind of porn and the fact that I had an audience and the fact I started writing things out and the fact I started exploring myself that I kind of started to realize that there was something wrong with me. And then, you know, I started using psychedelics, which eventually like gave me this blueprint of, you know, why I constantly was in like this inner turmoil in my head. And I mean, it started when I was 12 years old, which is usually when, so I'm diagnosed with bipolar one disorder mm-hmm. and borderline personality disorder. And that started around 12 years old. And my parents thought it was a phase. They kind of thought it was hormones or they thought it was because it was a girl or because it was a boy, you know, that I started self-harming and everything. Um, 
And that's what I mean, that's what I assume, too. You know, I grew up in an age where no one talked about mental illness. You know, if you were depressed, just be happy. You know, there's no such thing as being crazy. It's just, you know, you need to control yourself. I just remember everyone always telling me to control my emotions, which is so infuriating to hear as someone mm-hmm. who's bipolar because it's like that'd be fucking nice if I could control them because yeah. it would make, you know, functioning in society possible. So, I mean, it went on. I started self-harming at 12 and I would have really bad mood swings where I would completely disassociate and like just I wouldn't be able to control my body or anything. And then, you know, I started going to high school and then my parents were like, maybe she'll grow out of it. And then I attempted suicide when I was 14, when I was 16, when I was 19. Um, And then I the same way. No, a bunch of different ways. I mean, I would either I'd either cut myself or I would take pills or I tried to shoot myself when I was 16 because I was always trained with guns like that was just a hobby of mine was shooting and that was like me and my dad's like hobby together you know so like it was just always in this when I have an episode like that I just shut off and I can't stop it and I just always thought that was normal and I thought everybody kind of lived their life like this I thought this is totally normal everyone does this all the time and then it didn't happen for a few years, like between 20 and 22. I was like, fine. I didn't have an episode. Um, and then at 22, it happened again. And that's when I was with Zach at the time. And I cut my wrist and he found me on the kitchen floor and he like tied a tourniquet around my Holy arm and shit. got me to the hospital. And even then I was like, I didn't tell the people at the hospital what I did. They're like, they're not stupid. They knew what I did. And they're like, did you do this to yourself? And I was like, no, I was washing dishes and I cut myself. And they're like, did you do this to yourself? And uh-huh. I was like, no, because I was so afraid of what would happen if I admitted that I had done this. So they sent me home and I was in a really bad depression for a few weeks after that. And then when I started using psychedelics, it kind of sh- kind of took me out of my mind and showed me this blueprint of the past, you know, 12 years of my life of these cycles of being severely depressed and having a suicide attempt and then being severely manic, mm-hmm. you know, really crazy, really promiscuous, couldn't hold down a relationship. You know, I would do this thing called splitting, which is a symptom of borderline where, you know, it's everything is black and white. And I know I love my fiance and I know he's the love of my life, but I could wake up one day and feel nothing for him. It's like I didn't even know him. I would wake up to a complete stranger And that, like, fucked with my relationship, and I never realized what was happening in my head until Mm. I started tripping and until it brought me out of myself and basically showed me, you know, 10 years in a perspective that I would have never been able to do with, you know, my mind, the way it functions. So that's when I came, like, fascinated with psychedelics. I was like, how could this, you know, 10 years of living in hell, how could this one type of drug show me everything that Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen that no one saw that my parents didn't catch the doctors didn't catch you know no one at school caught yeah you know so I was just given this entire perspective and that's when I started so heavy tripping regularly so every 30 days I would like take a, a really heavy dose and I would trip for whatever six to 12 hours depending on what psychedelic I took And then that kind of seemed to help my symptoms. So Mm -hmm. I had less mood swings. You know, I was a lot, it completely changed me as a person. I was able to kind of be in touch with my emotions more, which is really huge for me, you know, and I kind of felt like I was me again. So basically, I feel like there's seven different personalities inside me. There's a manic, a depressive, really bad rage, um, super happy, like normal. There's so... so many people inside of me and it will start to make you feel crazy. It will start Mm -hmm. to make you feel insane. 
So I would trip and it would kind of bring all these personalities together and make me whole again. So mm-hmm. I feel like one complete person. And then slowly, like after the day of tripping, I would start to get fractured again. So I'd start splitting like into this angry person or into this happy person or this depressed person, this manic person. It was just constant, just cycling. And that's what it is, is to be bipolar. This just never ending cycling of emotions you can't control. So then I noticed that if psychedelics were making me be put together again, but I had to do a heavy trip every 30 days, you know, what if I looked into microdosing? So, which is just a smaller dose. So it's non-threshold, which means you're not tripping. You don't feel mm. the effects. You know, the most effects I notice when I microdose is the wind will blow and I'll feel it a little more on my skin and I'll be appreciative of it. Like that's a thought that I wouldn't normally have, but on days I microdose, I can tell this wine, you know, tastes a little deeper. The wind, you know, feels a little nicer, but Mm -hmm. besides that, you know, you're not high, you know, I do it before I go to work and I'm completely functional. Um, but it's a below threshold dose and you have to find out every person is different. Like what theirs would be like. Mm -hmm. It's, Typically, it's 25 micrograms, but I take 17 micrograms because I took 25 once and I like saw like a really slight trail at work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm tripping. Like, I can't yeah. <laughs> I have to go lower. <laughs> um, but yeah, so once I realized that psychedelics were kind of keeping this disorder in check, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try microdosing every three days so I don't have to do this heavy trip every 30 days. Um, and to kind of just keep it like if I start to feel myself get depressed or I start to feel myself cycle, you know, I'll take a dose and it will kind of help me level me out. It'll like make these connections in my brain scientifically. I don't know what it's doing because people don't resource psychedelics for personality disorders. I've tried to do a bunch of clinical trials, you know, psilocybin to quit smoking or, you know, LSD to help depression. But the one factor in all of them is they will not work with people with bi- diagnosed with bipolar and they will not work with people diagnosed with personality disorders like borderline because doctors have no idea how it's going to affect people mm-hmm. like this so i'm just doing it like on my own and you know blogging about it and talking about it and writing about it because no one else is really doing it but i mean it's been three months now i believe and i mean i've felt generally normal which is like i said the last time i spoke to someone about this that's it's insane for me to function three months without either trying to kill myself Mm -hmm. or, you know, not being severely, severely depressed. And I did, I've had some days where I was, you know, depressed, but I was able to get out of it much quicker than what is normal. Mm -hmm. So I just keep, you know, I keep talking about it and I keep researching it and writing about it because I mean, the things that I'm supposed to be on, and I've had doctors that refuse to work with me because I use psychedelics, because I technically am supposed to be on prescriptions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against prescriptions, but I don't want to take them. The s- things I'm supposed to be on are poisonous, and the things I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be on, they start to shut down your body eventually. Yep. So I basically had this choice where I got to choose between my mental well-being and my physical well-being. And I was like, there needs to be a way that I can do this, you know, that's not going to just fucking poison me. Yeah. So... You know, I mean, the microdosing has been it's been helping and it's insane to me that it's illegal, that it helps me so much. It's Mm -hmm. insane that if I get caught with any of my medicine, you know, that I'll get arrested, Mm -hmm. even though it's either me take this every three days and be completely functional and a happy person or me not take it and most likely end up hanging myself like that's Mm -hmm. there's no there's no in between if I don't take it. I will end up in a hospital or dead. And if I do take it, it's illegal. You know, that's why I'm just constantly like 
trying to be as involved as I can and being open about it. Like I talk about it at work. Like I don't yeah. hide it. I need, I'm just constantly advocating for it because then they like, they are making strides. They're studying MDMA for relationship therapy. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're studying LSD for alcoholism. Like they said that it cured alcoholism and there's no cure for alcoholism. Sure. The fact that they've pushed that psychedelics cure it is insane to me, yeah. you know, and they're starting like to study psychedelics for so much more now and to kind of like, sift through all this bullshit propaganda of the past few decades that the government has just thrown on everyone that it's bad for you and that it stays in your spinal cord and that it makes you go crazy because it's all bullshit Mm -hmm. you know i'm glad that effort like they're finally starting to work through it like ketamine is being used as an antidepressant in the ketamine clinics which Mm -hmm. is amazing because i've used disassociatives to help my depression and it's helped as well you know, it's just there's so many of these drugs that you hear them. You're like, oh, acid, like ketamine, you know, MDMA. And, you know, at first you're like, these are drugs. These yeah. are drugs that kids do at rage. Like, no, like these things can help you. You know, mm-hmm. they can help. Like even my girlfriend who wrote a book on Iboga, this ancient plant medicine, it helped her husband's drug addiction. You know, all these things that are helpful and not prescriptions and you're not on for the rest of your life. You know, we're just starting to be able to break through mm-hmm. being able to talk about it. Even medical marijuana, you know, my whole life I was told don't smoke weed. And I don't smoke weed just because I don't like it. But my whole life I was like, it's evil, it's evil, it's evil. And even my parents were like, don't smoke weed, don't smoke weed. And now my dad got finally got his first medical marijuana card mm-hmm. because he's sick and it's helping him without him, you know, having to take a prescription. And I was like, and my little sisters are totally freaked out. They're like, is my dad smoking a bong right now? <laughs> he, like, he did have like a bong rip. And, like and my sisters are like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And it's just because like weed has been this weird, horrible thing. But if he pulled out a cigarette and smoked it, they wouldn't think twice about it. And that's mm-hmm. 10 times worse for you than weed. Yeah. So we're like at this weird impasse where we're like breaking through all this damage that's been done by the government you know Mm -hmm. and and i'm trying to like be a part of that because i'm just thinking about other people who have to live through what i live through and other people who wake up with this fucking chaos in your brain and to maybe have something as simple as you know a tiny syringe of water that i drink in the morning because i just put it i dilute it in distilled water and then every few days i just measure it out and I drink it or put it in my pee or something. Like mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not like serious medication. I'm not taking these pills, but you yeah. know, the idea that this could help other people like me and that mm-hmm. it's illegal is infuriating. Yeah. So it's helped and I love it and I'll consistently advocate for it and talk about it. You know, even my, my older sister, when she has problems with her husband, I'm like, come down to L.A. and I will facilitate a trip between you two. Because yeah. you trip with the person you think that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you will either find out that you can do it or you'll find out that you can't. Yeah. You know, or my parents, when they're going through things. I'm pretty sure I'm on the borderline of convincing my mom to come out who's never done a drug like that and come out to trip with me. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's a very religious and a very spiritual thing for me. And she's very religious and I think she, that's what she's afraid of. You know, but, you know, the fact that even my parents are starting to see how much it alters you as a human in a positive way, Mm -hmm. you know, people are starting to be more open to it that I never even thought, you know, would be interested in it. And it's weird because it's like if anyone's like, oh, if you talk to Rachel, she says psychedelics are the answer to everything. What I do, Mm -hmm. you know, you they'll tell you what you don't know how to tell yourself, you know, and I've learned that in more ways. I mean, four years, I've learned more about my mind than you know, I think it's possible sober. Mm-hmm. I, just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's 
possible because your brain doesn't make the connections it does when you're on medicines like that Mm -hmm. you know and that's like they exist for a reason they were on this planet before we were you know and different and there's so many different compounds it's not just psilocybin it's not just lsd there's so many different research chemicals that have different aspects that kind of tap into different parts of your mind mm-hmm. you know but if you think of something as well known as dmt you know you're born with that in your body you know for someone to make that illegal and say that you can't you know smoke it or you yeah. can't do it like that it, it's that's insane it's preposterous you're it literally your body creates it and it's the one thing that's given to you right before you die you know it releases in your body mm-hmm. you know that's something extremely powerful and extremely magical and i think every human has a right to experience that have you used that before i'm actually i'm waiting i'm waiting okay i don't know what i'm waiting for but i feel like i'm waiting for the medicine to kind of speak to me and like I feel like it'll pull me towards it when it's the right time. So Zach, he smoked it and he had a really interesting experience. That's your fiance, right? Yeah. Okay. And he had a really interesting experience. And and I'm not scared just because I just have been doing psychedelics for so long. I'm not afraid of what all what will happen. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the right time where, I mean, I don't like to push it. I don't want to be like, I have to smoke DMT. I have to, you know, I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, I kind of, I do the drug that when it, you know, it speaks to me or when, you know, I feel like it's time, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, cause I do, I get, you know, I'll get a pull towards something like psilocybin sometimes mentally, or get a pull towards something more synthetic like LSD, you know, or get a pull towards one of the other like various research chemicals, you know, something as strong and spiritual as DMT, I'm waiting for it to just pull me towards it and then you know i'll do it but i don't Mm -hmm. push it you know i don't need this and you don't need to check off this list of psychedelics for me to do i just wait you know kind of for the medicine to be ready to yeah you know be in my life well it's kept you now from going to that dark place i mean the that's what's do you think i know you're talking multiple attempts at suicide that got pretty close it sounds like i mean on some of these occasions do you think you've experienced or do you remember experiencing that euphoric feeling that they talk about that 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 dmt creates that uh you know where people like people that have you know almost drowned or whatever it's just like when you're getting close to dying exactly have you felt that do you think already no not for my attempts to be honest like all i ever felt when i attempted i didn't feel anything and i think that's the scary part it Mm -hmm. would be nice if I could say when I tried to kill myself that I was sad or that I felt like I was dying or I felt, you know, any sort of euphoria from the release or I got close to kind of that DMT release. And that's what's terrifying is every time. And that's it's honestly the only way I can describe it is feeling possessed. Like I can't feel anything. I don't even feel sad when it happens. I remember like the most recent time when I was suicidal and like now that's the cool thing is I can just say it. Like I have contingency plans now, which is the only reason I haven't attempted when I lose that feeling and I lose that control. I go somewhere and I'm just like, you need like, I'm not okay. You need to put me somewhere because mm-hmm. I have to wait for it to pass. There's nothing else. I can either trip yeah. or I can wait for it to pass. Like the yeah. last time I like, 
I didn't trip for four months. I didn't take my meds for four months. And I had a psychotic break. Like the next morning, like I, Zach put two tabs of acid in my face. He's like, we need to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And then it snapped me out of it. I completely was in psychosis for 48 hours. And then I tripped for 12 hours and I was 100% back to normal. Like it never even happened. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, this shit needs like to be researched. Yeah. You know, I, they would have stuck me in a mental hospital for months to figure out what was wrong with Mm -hmm. me. And I figured it all out in 12 hours, you know? Yeah. But, and that's the scary thing is I never felt anything when I attempted, even at this point now when it happens, like I don't feel, I'll, it'll come over me. And I was like walking out my front door. Zach's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm leaving. He's like, are you coming back? And I was like, no, just very matter of fact. Like I knew what I was going to go do, but I couldn't physically stop it, you know? And then I told him and like, he had to keep me in the apartment, Yeah. you know, but I don't, I don't feel anything. I never got close to any. You know, even when I was, even when I was bleeding on the kitchen floor, I was just like, okay, like I did this. This is what I was supposed to do, because that's just my brain completely turns off, and it's just, yeah. it's not me anymore. And it's weird. I remember the way it described is the one time I disassociated. I was making a sandwich, and I was watching my hands make the sandwich, but I couldn't feel my hands. It was like watching a movie, and it was the same thing whenever I hurt myself. Is I'm just watching myself like like cut my arms but i can't physically stop it you know so and that's was then that was another weird thing like you can't even wrap your head around that and that's why i thought it was normal my whole life like imagine being 14 years old and like you just running into the street into traffic and you have no idea why you're doing it you know it's like i don't know it's scary and it's scary that no one it's scary that people still don't talk about it yeah. It even took my parents a very long time to one deal with the fact they didn't catch it and two even talk to me about it. And now it's, you know, because I've been tripping and because I'm more connected to my mind than I was previously, you know, I'm able to tell what my warning signs are. I never knew what my warning signs were and I never knew what it was like for me to cycle. And now like because like they've showed me this part of my brain that I couldn't grasp because I'm sick. You know, now I'm able to have these contingency plans. I'm able to keep myself safe, you know, and I'm not embarrassed to call my boss and be like, I'm manic and you don't fucking want me at work right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to happen. You know, it's so much better to be open about it because then if you're not, you're just fucked for the rest of your life. I need to Mm -hmm. be able to, you know, if you call into work and you broke your leg, they don't expect you in. I need to be able to call in and be like, I can't function right now because my brain has failed me today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. just, that's what's kind of, that's another thing, you know, I'm trying to push against people need to look at mental problems the same way they look at physical problems. Mm-hmm. People who are like, Oh, well just don't hurt yourself. Like that'd be fucking nice. Like yeah. tell me that when I'm like, can't control anything on yeah. my body, you know? And it is, it's scary. And I feel, I feel really bad that Zach loves me and I feel really bad that he's sticking by me because it's terrifying for him. He has no idea half the time who he's going to wake up next to, you mm-hmm. know, and that we're lucky that it's been good the past few months because I, because I've been microdosing, but I mean, he's been with me for four years and it's been fucking terrifying for most of those four years, you know, cause it's not easy. And that's why I love doing my blog and I love talking to people cause I have, you know, people email me or send me, you know, letters. It's like my wife is bipolar. My husband's bipolar. You know, I have no idea what's going on, but you're able 
to put into words something that they haven't been able to put into words. You know, you're able to describe these things Mm -hmm. that are happening in their head that like is fucking with our relationship. But now that you're describing it, like we're able to have this little bit of perspective. So I feel like the medicines come into my life and giving me this perspective that not only has improved my life, but now I get to talk to other people about it and kind of try and improve their lives as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, like these medicines and these psychedelics, you know, are so imperative, I think, to our lives and our understanding of life that they'll find a way into someone like me to be able to spread to other people, not like a virus, but like, I don't know, like this fungus that cleanses everything. It'll Mm -hmm. just consistently spread, you know, through me to someone else, to someone else, because it's just it's they're trying to help humanity in some way. You know, and they're in my opinion, I mean, I think they're the one thing that are that can help us. So, well, I think it's incredibly brave. I mean, your story is fant- just fascinating. I mean, I have I've been diagnosed with massive depressive disorder and have been on antidepressants before, and it makes you feel no highs, no lows. You're just cruising, and I can't stand it. But hearing you describe your feelings, I mean, there's things you said in there that I've felt 100% myself. And the other fascinating thing is you've gone from one industry that no one wants to talk about while living a life experiencing things that no one also (laughs) wants to talk about. But then you come out, you know, on top of, I mean, you use your real name. Yep. You didn't make a fake name. You, you, you were yourself. It's who I am. This is who I am. You know, I'm going to go to a job interview to someone who just, you know, saw a video of mine on the internet, but yeah, that's who I am. I'm not, you know, whoever, whoever. And then, you know, coming out, Using something that's, you know, illegal still in America, you know, on a, you know, on a weekly basis and talking about it and putting it out there for other people's benefit. I mean, as well as your own, but the fact that you want to help people with it is, is amazing too. I mean, just a fascinating story. This is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. You know, I had, I don't even remember, I had never heard of you before. Like I had no, I don't know how I came across it on Twitter, but I came across the Twitter and it was something about That's microdosing. That's what's so cool and I, about Twitter is it's just this crazy network. Yeah. And like you would have never seen that. But like some, some, someone liked, retweeted something, someone of some other sort. And then you saw it. And that's what's so yeah. fascinating. And I went to the website and I was like, this is really interesting. And then I sent an email or a, a tweet or something. I don't remember if it was a tweet or an email. I think it was an email. Yeah, an email on there. And uh, I was like, yeah, she'll never write me back or whatever. And it was like, like that day or the next day. And I was like. Sweet. This is awesome because I mean, I mean, usually when you want to talk to somebody, you usually know someone who knows them and you get an intro and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you've been completely open and honest and just 100 percent yourself. And I mean, the things you've gone through are are terrifying. I mean, and, and to be come out on the end of it, you know, it's just it's 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 amazing. I think that's you know? what's so important to me to be authentic because I remember Like, I remember growing up as a teenager and, like, not because I was sick and I was bad. Like, I was bad shit crazy, like, Mm -hmm. my whole teenage years. And I never knew who I was. And, like, everyone called me this chameleon. I would consistently form to the people I was hanging out with. I never had a personality. I didn't even know. I'm going to start crying. I didn't even know when I, like, came out of it what my favorite color was. That's how much I had no idea about anything about myself. I didn't even know what my favorite color was i had zero personality because i had didn't know like my just i didn't even know who i was half the time so i could didn't even figure out 
like what kind of clothes they like to wear. I l- remember when I like started getting better and I had to go to the mall to buy clothes for myself. I didn't know what to buy because I didn't know who I was. And my whole life I was just forming to the group I was hanging out with or I was doing what my parents said or I was consistently like I was always in this limbo where I was never really existed and I never I wasn't Rachel. I was just this body who consistently mm-hmm. had to survive an avatar yeah much, that's like. and that's just what i felt like and then when i started you know when i got into porn and i was unashamed of it and i you know kind of started figuring out who i was and i was in this industry that no one wanted to talk about you know then i started to like form a personality and form you know this i don't give a shit what you say i'm gonna do what i want you know i remember someone would say something that i disagreed with and a few years ago i would just agree with them to just you know, just like mold to them because I was consistently just attaching to other people because Mm -hmm. I couldn't be a person myself. That's why I'm so obsessed with authenticity now. I'm and I'm obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it when everyone was like, don't use your real name with porn. I was like, I have to. I was obsessed with people like you have to be a porn star. You can't be this open on the Internet. I was like, no, I have to. Mm -hmm. You know, when I talk about being bipolar, having borderline, you know, I have to be authentic about it. You know, when people say we don't want to hear about suicide, I'm like, well, that's too bad. Like, you need to talk about it. It's real. I'm just so obsessed with being transparent. And sometimes people think it's too much, but I just, I'm so excited to know who I am now that I'm never at any cost gonna hide it, whether it's from my family or from friends or from people in my industry, you know, I would lose a job over and being who I have to be mm-hmm. to feel, you know, like I'm being true to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the most important thing in the end to me. Cause now that I know who I am, you know, I'm going to hold on to that mm-hmm. and shout it from the rooftops. Cause you know, I went years not even feeling like a person, you know, mm-hmm. now me being me, like I love myself, but I'm going to, I don't give a fuck what anyone else says. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. I'm going to talk about things that are illegal and I'm going to talk about things that are helping other people, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean you can't really stop me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're I mean, you're one one of the most authentic people I think I've ever met. Like just and we've known each other for 10 or well, an hour maybe, an hour. you know. <laughs> and I feel like I know more about or as much about you as you do about yourself and which is crazy because you've gone your whole life you know not knowing that like you said and and being able to find yourself especially now some people never find themselves even without mental illness but to go from being a shell like you stated to just everything's alive you Mm -hmm. know it's inspiring it's absolutely inspiring and i you know genuinely from the bottom of my heart appreciate you you know speaking about this today and coming uh, driving two fucking hours through <laughs> la traffic to come to the hotel that we're marooned at here at this podcast festival without a car like to someone you've never met like yeah i'll drive two hours and talk about my story i was like are you fucking kidding me okay well i will be re- i will be there and i will be ready like i it meant a lot to me uh to make that effort and uh you know just be it's inspiring like i'm inspired right now (laughs) to go do the same thing like be myself be transparent i think the other ironic thing is if everyone was like you now Mm. to where you are being i don't think the industry or the town you live in would even exist because there's so much posturing and and fake i mean it's refreshing it's like a breath of fresh air it's it's so it's in and it's just 
it's like it got to and it just seems some like even to the point where like me not wearing makeup anymore and like i said i don't judge anyone but like it's just there's been so many things removed like from my idea of what's necessary mm-hmm. and like even like i remember like whole life just as a chick i always do my hair i always wear makeup like that's just what i did to be comfortable you know zach would always ask me like why are you wearing that like we're not even going anywhere and i just was something i had to do and now you know it's just so unnecessary to me and mm-hmm. i've just had all these little things that my whole life i've been told are necessary or kind of been you know made to think are necessary then i'm just like that's not fucking necessary like even like i had this very uncomfortable with conversation with my parents because they had no idea i was bisexual and they have this idea that because i'm engaged to a man that like i'm still not attracted to women mm-hmm. because and that was an uncomfortable conversation because my whole life i've been told you know you can't do that you know you can't be attracted to women or you can't be attracted to both like you can only be attracted to men and i had like this uncomfortable conversation and they like it's just weird for them and i've just constantly been like told to like like you said like like this posture and this needs to be this way and mm-hmm. this needs to be this way like i always said i've been constantly trying to be shoved into these boxes my entire life and i'm finally at a point where i'm like fuck these boxes and like i was just done with them mm-hmm. you know and i wish more people were like that cuz it just makes things so much even like I don't have a lot of friends at work because I don't they say it's because I'm from New York, but I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I just don't beat around the bush. If I yeah. need something, I say it. If I want something, I want it. Like mm. if I don't like something like, no, I'm not a con. Like I'll always love every human as a human because yeah. even humans I hate, I love them because they're fellow humans. But, yeah. you know, I'm just very direct and I just don't like bullshit and I don't like facades. And like, yeah, I can come off like a bitch because of that. But you'll always get the truth from me no mm-hmm. matter what. You know, and I think I just feel like more people should be like that. You know, I just I I the truth is very important to me. Like I said, authenticity and the truth are some of the most important things to me in the world. You know, and it's weird that two amazing things like that. If you hold true to those constantly, people don't people like can't handle it. It's too much. It's Mm -hmm. oh, she's too honest or oh you know she should be this certain way you know it's Mm -hmm. really strange that we live in a time where the truth and being authentic are uncomfortable for people Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that way it should be the complete opposite if you're not 100 percent truth when you're not 100 percent authentic people should be very uncomfortable around you Mm -hmm. and i can tell like people who i know and i can tell that aren't you know there's something going on there there's some kind of wall there that makes me more uncomfortable than like a totally blunt like you know, person. And yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the world's kind of flip-flopped. It shouldn't be that way. You should be more comfortable yeah. around, you know, the truth. than you change are. a lot of problems. Yeah. Be a lot less fighting. And uh, I mean, Mark Twain had a famous quote, uh, that kind of ties in here. What he said, uh, if you're truly, I forget if he said, if you were truly honest, you don't have to remember anything. Yeah. And, and it makes sense because it's like, you don't have to, Oh, I lied about this to this person or, Oh shit! I got to keep this up. You know what I mean? You don't literally have to remember anything. And you know, it makes everything so easy. And I think like, and that was another thing because I mean, I did. I struggled. I struggled with drug addiction for when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. but mainly because I was self medicating for how fucking insane my mind was. Yeah. You know, and I got involved in a lot of fucked up things, and that's a huge reason that I moved out of New Jersey because I got involved with a lot of dangerous people, and mm-hmm. you know. I felt guilty for, you know, 
bringing something as dangerous as heroin into my town, you mm-hmm. know, and creating this horrible environment for my baby sisters to grow up. And I dealt with a lot of guilt with that. And then, you know, the fact that my whole life I was the kind of person that said I would never touch needles and I would never, you know, bang drugs and I would never do this and I would never steal and I would never do that. I became, you know, that horrible, horrible person. Mm-hmm. And I was a liar for a long time. I lied about everything. I lied about being homeless. I lied about being broke. I lied about what drugs I was on. I lied about, you know, dealing them. You know, I was constantly lying about where I was. You know, you get into this addict mentality. You would ask me what color shirt I was wearing. And if it was black, I'd say blue because I just every word that came out of my mouth was a lie. Pathological. Yeah, just just to a point where I couldn't tell the truth. I had no idea to tell the truth. And my dad's been sober for a long time, like 16 years. And he's the one who helped me, mm-hmm. you know, get clean. And he was like, you can't even look me in the eyes at this point. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't make eye contact with anyone. You know, he would ask me anything and I wouldn't ever be able to look at him. And eventually, you know, he was like, you need to start learning how to tell the truth again. And I went through this, I've been through so many different metamorphoses and I went through yet another metamorphosis where I had to learn how to tell the truth again you know I would be able to go to the grocery store and my parents asked me where I'm going and I could just say I'm going to the grocery store and I make up this crazy mm-hmm. elaborate elaborate lies so that was just like yet I just feel like I've constantly gone through these metamorphoses where it showed me how dangerous it is to be fake and how dangerous it is to lie to yourself and how dangerous it is to hide yourself yeah. and then I'm an asshole and have to go the hard road. That's what my parents always said, even <laughs> though I was a baby. They're like, no matter what we tell you, you always take the hard road. Like, yeah. if I'm telling you, do not touch that. It's fucking hot. Mm. You're the one who is pressing your hand on it to, like, make sure that it's hot. So my whole life, I've constantly had to take this 10-mile journey to just get one point across to myself. But because I've done that, I've just, I feel like I've gained, I've gained a lot of pain but now i'm able to turn all that pain around and turn it into something good and that's worth it to me at this Mm -hmm. point you know to go through so many different metamorphoses like whether that be like growing up really difficult or you know being an addict or you know the different the suicide attempts or the porn or just so many different phases that have taught me so much i'm Mm -hmm. so i'm like i don't like the hard road but when you get to the end it's like holy shit like this is so different and I, I love it. It's so it's exciting for me. The it's exciting that all these things have just like just brought me down to my root self. It's mm-hmm. insane to me. It was I'm so along. excited that I'm like only 24 <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so sure the next few decades are going to be easy. <laughs> I if someone told me you're 24 years old, I would call bullshit. I'm so like I was like, oh, my God, like this guy. You and have then, like, a I young know. look, but you are like, a full fledged <laughs> adult. Yeah. Like beyond your years. From like what I, you've I know talked. I know it's going to be life is difficult. But now that like I have all of this in my head, I'm like, OK, mm. I could totally pull off. Like I could make it till 90 and definitely pull it off without yeah. going down some other crazy batshit rabbit hole, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I probably will find one. But I'm cool <laughs> with it. I'll eventually come out. But no, yeah. I really I definitely I love I love sharing my story and I, tr- I truly appreciate you having me out here. I mean, it was so cool to get your email and then be like, Oh my God, someone wants to hear my story. Yay. Yeah. I just feel like that's my purpose. Like at this point, that's just like my purpose. I'm just like waiting for someone to be like, okay, let's talk about it. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. let's talk about it because someone else will hear it. And then maybe someone else, you know, will decide to be themselves for the day. You know, even mm-hmm. if something as simple as that, you know, maybe someone will disagree with someone that yeah. day, you know, or maybe someone will, you know, feel a little more comfortable in their own skin mm-hmm. for a few hours. That's 
even that's a win for it's me, invaluable you know? it's invaluable and the i mean the i get emails all the time from people i've had on the show different musicians and stuff that have overcome heroin addiction or and say dude thank you for putting out this episode because now that i've heard that so-and-so can do it i can do it yeah. or i was gonna i was slipping and this you know hearing this story brought it back for me you know and I think a lot of people listening to this are going to get a lot out of it. I, I've gained a lot out of it. Selfishly, <laughs> I mean, I feel inspired. No, good. Like, I got Take goosebumps it. there a few times, like, because I felt some of these things, not at the level that you went to, but hearing someone else, when anyone tells me to just fix it or just, just don't be, just, you need to change. Ugh. It's not that fucking easy. Yeah. And to hear someone else go through the same thing at a way crazier level, I mean, crazy is the wrong word there but no, at, the, at a more intense <laughs> intense level it's absolutely inspiring and people need to hear this and i am incredibly excited to put this episode out because i think a lot of emails are going to come in about this and i've got some I, I i know you're a writer and and i don't know if you're a reader or not if you're into you know read but i've got a few people that i've done on other shows for other people that do the microdosing i'm gonna get them oh, yeah, send you copies yeah, of their me. book they're like they're like phd doctors mm -hmm. like um i think you'll find fascinating and and awesome. maybe you guys can connect and, and talk. I think you need a podcast. <laughs> I think about that sometimes. With, like, I don't know how to use these technology things. This is something, I can barely use Twitter. <laughs> this is something we can help you with. Yeah. I, I mean, really I've, feel I've this always, would be massive. I've always considered I feel like that. I mean, I know enough interesting people where I feel like mm -hmm. it would be quite interesting. I mean, even Jesus, like, if I had my dad on the podcast, holy mm -hmm. fuck, I can't even imagine the shit he would have to say. I mean, he grew yeah. up in the 80s in Hollywood, like... You've, you've got an established fan base for multiple reasons and then at the same time it could be you sitting down for 20 minutes in front of a microphone and yeah. this is how i'm feeling and release it yeah and just watch the emails come in of people that you you know we were talking about this at this i'll, I'll wrap this up here quick so you gotta go but we were at that after party last night and we we're talking to some other podcasters this whole thing's podcasters but they're talking about how when you listen to someone's voice without seeing them mm -hmm. they become a part of your psyche Versus really? I'm looking at you, you know, what am I thinking about? You know, am I thinking about what you're saying? Am I thinking about your hair? Whatever else. Without seeing any of that, they become part of your psyche and you take them with you. Mm -hmm. Like you're on a run with your headphones in and you're listening to me talk. You talk. We're part of their psyche now. Like they're not seeing what does Dewey look like? What does Rachel look like? Uh, what are they doing right now? Do they look angry? Do they, mm -hmm. They're listening to the it's words. It's just the words that are coming. And it's so much more powerful. That's crazy. You know, I like right now, that. that's really true. Getting goosebumps from this story, you know, watching your emotion and everything, and just how much this has meant to you, like this road you've been on. If I was to go back and put headphones in and listen to this, I'd probably start crying. Like it's extremely different yeah. listening. To, and that's why this medium is so cool. And I think if you, along with your blog, did something that way, where a weekly thing, like a 20 minute check in of you just talking about your week. Uh, this day, this happened. This is what I'm feeling. The way you describe it is so visceral. That'd I be think cool. it really, you know, we I should talk know. about this later. Oh, no, yeah, we should talk about that. Because we have the network. I mean, we have ways to, you know, get this together. And yeah, and, that'd be uh, cool. And we should do a follow up episode down the road and just see where you're at, you know. I agree. Huge deal. So Look, I'm going to let you, you get out of here. You have to come though, to me so. next time. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> this one, this podcast thing next year is in Philly, but. Um, oh good I'll know. be on the east coast next year so perfect I'll just go hang out in Philly next year awesome well Rachel I, Rachel Midori yes oh man rachelmidori.com mm -hmm. uh, check out the blog check out uh, you know 
anything you want. I mean, everything's on there. Everything you've done, and and uh, it, it's an awesome website too. You do it yourself, don't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, that's yeah. the other cool thing. <laughs> I do this all myself. Yeah. It looks great. So uh, definitely check her out. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being so honest. And thank and, uh, you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel Midori. Just a fantastic person, a, a great human being. And very open and honest. I think she's helping a lot of people. And I definitely got something out of this interview, too, speaking to someone that's gone through, you know, bouts of depression and and hers on a much more extreme level. But it felt good to talk to someone that understands what it feels like, because when you're talking to someone that doesn't, you really feel it and you know it. And, uh, you know, it's something that if you are having problems struggling with with, you know, suicidal thoughts, depression, hit me up. I mean, I'd be glad to talk with you, you know, talk you through some things, you know, just be a voice or even through email, just a pen pal, you know, you want to chat about some stuff, hit me up at purepleasurepod at gmail.com. Hit Rachel up on Twitter. She is fantastic. She'll get back to you. She's she's just a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, we just don't want anyone to feel like they're alone because no one is, you know what I mean? Everyone's got someone out there, uh, even if it's someone you don't know, like it's reaching out to me, reaching out to her, reaching out to, to anyone. Um, definitely keep that in mind. I uh, really appreciate you guys listening week after week. I love each and every one of you guys. And it means a big deal to me to see the numbers every week and, and know that there's that many people listening to the show. And we just hit 720,000 streams for the first year. And the first year is not even quite over yet. So there's still time. But I, my heart just you know exploded when I saw that, and and you know the amount of work we put into this show, seeing that it's being listened to and enjoyed, just makes me absolutely, you know, so happy, and I really appreciate that. And I want you guys to get in on the Patreon while it's up, the Patreon.com/slash Peer Pleasure Podcast. Support the show, get some cool stuff, join the group, and uh, communicate with others. I mean, it's just going to be a, a big family affair. So. Uh, once again, really appreciate you guys listening week after week. We've got some awesome shows coming up. We've got some comedians. we got some musicians. Uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome fall, and uh, looking forward to spending that with you guys. So, as usual, we'll see you on the radio.